by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Like many of you, I grew up, I had aspirations, I had dreams. I was a little kid, I thought I was going to be this and I was going to be that. And so we set out on our way, and then like many of you, I didn't get born again, didn't give my life to Jesus till later on in my life because I was so busy, I was so set trying to make my dreams happen. And then, it, as with most people, you got to come to the end of yourself and realize you can really do nothing of any everlasting value on your own. And so... I got to the place where I just made a big mess of my life and I came to the end of myself and I gave my heart to Jesus. And I always tell people I got saved, saved, right? And that's the term I came up with. But, but I see some people give their heart to Jesus and the, and the next day they just go right back to life as it was before like nothing happened. I'm like, did they really get saved? Because I remember when I got saved, I was excited about being forgiven, because I had 32 years of living for the devil behind me. I was excited that the, the God of all creation knows my name. Man, I was so excited. I was playing in a rock and roll band at the time called Diesel Jane. And we were playing the nightclubs. And, and I was so excited. Whoever rode with me to the next gig that we were playing, they were getting an earful about Jesus. Man, you got to... You, you don't know what it feels like to be forgiven, man. You, you've got to give your heart. Because we were heathens of heathens. I mean, we were top-notch heathens. We, we were, I mean, and they was looking at me like, what is wrong? What has happened to you? Are you on some new drug? Give me some of that drug. But they didn't want the real deal. They wanted the drug. They wanted the counterfeit. But uh, I, I had this one guy in my band named Jamie. And uh, he was my other guitar player. And since both of us lived in Olive Branch, we would often have to ride together pretty much to save money or whatever. The other two were, thank goodness I don't live around Guy, because the few times they rode with me, they were like, he's gone nuts. But I remember one time in particular, we were playing this little honky-tonk way out in the middle of nowhere and some biker bar or something, and, and we were headed that way, and Jamie was driving, and I had him pinned into his little truck. He didn't even have a king cab he just had a regular cab truck and so I was all up in his face Jamie dude why why what are you doing man are you just gonna live your whole life and then go to hell Jamie what are you gonna do man God's trying to give you life man I was just preaching preaching preach. you think I preach now man you should have seen me when I first got saved and I was preaching I was just wearing him out and, and I could just tell he was getting upset his eyes was doing this number here he was loosening his collar when he was driving. He was getting steamed. And I, I knew that I should back off because I'd gone too far. But I couldn't. And so I just kept blasting him, blasting him, blasting him. Jamie, you don't know. You don't know, Jamie. You've got to realize. You got, what about your children, Jamie? What about the generations to come? I was just telling him about the consequences of not experiencing this life that I now had. 
And I, and I just was expecting him to blow up any minute, and it was almost like a miracle that he didn't because I could tell he was really sweating by the time we got there. And we pulled up in that place in that crunchy gravel in that parking lot, and he parked that truck and slammed it up into the park, and I said, I better get out. So I got out, and I went and got my guitar out of the back of the truck, and I started trying to, I said, I, I said all my peace, you know. And I started heading to the nightclub, and Jamie got out the other end, slammed the door, and said, Guy, come over here. I said, uh, what? And I walked over there. He's sitting there like, yeah. He said, well, I'll tell you what he said a little later. <clears throat> but we are in a series entitled Resurrecting My Life. And you're saying we're still in this series? I thought you said three weeks ago we were quitting this series. And I thought we were. But it just keeps getting gooder and gooder. Man, we have talked about uh, having a tender heart, being resurrected with a tender heart now, being resurrected with a heart of worship. Last week we talked about the power that gives us the tender heart and the heart of worship, the power of God to resurrect our lives as the Holy Spirit. I mean, I was thinking, where can we go from here? But believe me, God still has us somewhere to go from here. Because the question I have for you today is, once you've been resurrected, saved this is this is the question now once you've been saved can you go back to the same old same old i guess you can i see people say the prayer i see them claiming to be christians and i see them go right back into the same life that they had before. That's what we're going to talk about today. Romans 1.4 says, talking about Jesus, he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. When did we really know that he was the Son of God? When he was raised from the dead, right? I mean, if somebody could be raised from the dead, we know that they're a son of God. And isn't it the same way for us? Do people have to ask you, are you Christian? Are, oh, I didn't know. We've been working together 15 years. You're a Christian too. We're both over here. And neither one of us have ever shared the gospel with each other. That's how people know that you're a child of God. Because it should be obvious that you've been raised from your old dead way of life. Am I making sense so far? Today's message is entitled, Raised to Life. Say raised to life. So we talked about the power of the resurrection last week. Now we're going to talk about what we're raised to. If you'll turn to Matthew 27, verse Matthew 27, verse 64, look at your neighbor and say, are you raised to life? I didn't know you was a Christian. <laughs> now, this is the Pharisees, and they're talking to Pontius Pilate. Jesus has been crucified, taken down from the cross by Joseph of Arimathea, and Nicodemus, and he's been put in a tomb, 
And in verse 64, they're talking to Pontius Pilate, and they say, so we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. And that's why they put that big rock in front of the tomb. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everybody he was raised from the dead. If this happens, we'll be worse off than at the first. See, the enemies of Christ are terrified over the idea that God's people would experience the resurrection. That's what the devil wants to keep from you. He wants to keep from the world. He's trying to hide the fact that Jesus really was resurrected. And if he can't hide that fact, he's going to hide it in your life and say, you really wasn't resurrected. He is scared for people to know that you've been raised from the dead. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And Lazarus had been in a tomb for four days. And they'd rolled a big stone in front of his tomb. And Jesus tells Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He's taken personal ownership of resurrection. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out and he's in his grave clothes. Poor fellow's all wrapped up. And he comes out like a mummy. And Jesus says, unwrap him and let him go. Is that you? Have you been called into God's kingdom? You've been called out of darkness and you come out and you're just going to stay in them old dead grave clothes and stinky way of living you used to live? No, Jesus is saying unwrap him. And that's what the church is here to do is have people help unwrap each other. So that we can truly live. We can show people that we've been raised. We've come out of that tomb. Now we're in the light. As he is in the light. And we were, we were reflecting the light as he is the light. Could, could Lazarus go back? To, the, to that old dead way of life that he had before he met Jesus? How silly would it be for him to get free and then scoot back into the tomb? I, I kind of like it in here in the dark. No, the next time we see Lazarus in Scripture is a, a chapter later, and he's sitting at the table, and he's feasting with Jesus, and he's made all the Pharisees mad, and they want to kill him. And if you ain't pulled a chair up next to Jesus, and if the devil ain't wanting to kill you, then you ain't living the resurrection life that God called you to live. When you get resurrected, you want to pull up and feast at the table with Jesus? You don't care if the devil knows it. All the people wanted to see Lazarus just like they wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to see the results of being raised from the dead. You know what raised means? It means coming higher. Higher than you were before. I looked up some other definitions of raised. I thought it was interesting. One of them is awakened. Hello. You know, we might have filled this church up if there weren't a few people still asleep this morning. And we might have filled it up with on-fire Christians if some of us weren't still asleep in our Christianity. Let our fire go out and get lukewarm. 
Another word for rage is arouse. Shake yourself. Another word says to stir up. Isn't that what the Bible says? To stir up yourself. To incite. And I thought this one was awesome. To flush from cover. That's the definition for raised in the the dictionary. To raise from cover. Are you an undercover Christian? And then the, the last one I wrote down, to recall from death. We've been recalled. Your airbags had gone bad, but Jesus recalled you. (laughs) We've been raised from death, raised to life. See, God always replaces what he takes from you. We were raised from death, not so that we could continue on in death. We were raised from it. To be raised to life. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Stay in the glory of the Almighty. The Bible says that in Christ is no darkness at all. In God is no darkness, no shadow of turning. Even in, under the wings of the Almighty, it's glorious under there. It's no shadow. It's not any darkness. And if you'll stay close to Him, you'll stay. It's like going to the, walking into the sun. Really, that's what it's like Him to. To be in Christ is to be in the sun. You think there's any darkness in the sun? I don't think there's a lot of shadows coming off the, the glory of the earthly sun. Think about no shadows coming off of Jesus. The most miserable existence I can imagine is to have been saved but go back to the old way that I used to live. To go back to the the nightclubs, to the drinking, to the drugs, and to the other things. When you know there's so much more, when you've tasted and saw that God is good, And you want to go back? No, you don't. You don't want to go back into that cave. You don't want to go back into the bondage that you've been set free from. You want to live. You care about your witness. You're saying, well, why was you going? You got saved. You were still headed to the nightclubs. That was a rare instant where God told me not to leave the band. And now the whole band got saved that one year because of all that. (laughs) And now a lot of them are on your praise team now. So God had a plan in that. But I was in them nightclubs, man. We were singing Christian songs up in there. I'm telling you. We can't live apart from our life source. Christianity is about not about how much knowledge you can acquire. You can know about the pre-rapture, pre-trib, or post-trib, or you can know about the Holy Trinity, you can study out all the things in the Bible. You can go from seminar to seminar and gain all this knowledge. And you can do so apart from the very life source. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we need to stay hooked up into him. And that's where we get the juice. Say, I get the juice. Do you need the juice today? 
No place I'd rather be but here in your love. Set a fire down in my heart. Down in my soul that I can't contain, I can't control, right? That's what we want. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. You fruity things, you. From apart from me, you can do nothing. He even says what happens if a, if a branch gets broken off from the vine. It's thrown on the ground and it withers and it dies. And it's, thrown, it's good for nothing but to throw into the fire. We can't go back. We have to stay hooked up with the vine. Live like you've been raised to life. Say raised to life. There's a purpose. Jesus doesn't just save you and just, okay, hang out till I come back. You're to be raised to a new way of life. Colossians 2 verse 6 says, Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. It's a daily thing. You know, some of us in here, we were very excited when we got saved. The first, maybe the first six months, maybe the first couple years, maybe the first ten years. But we can lose sight of things over the course of this marathon called life. You've got to continue to follow him. Let your roots grow deep down into him and let your life be built on him. Is there such a thing as being a Christian but doing life your own way? Didn't you say, be my Lord? Was that just talk? Galatians 2.20 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. Man, I was buried with him in baptism. I, was, I buried that old man in baptism. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live. It's Christ that lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. That's the way I live. It's him in me. I am what I am by the grace of God. I understand that I'm nothing apart from him, can do nothing apart from him. So my, my life is about staying close to him. Everything that I think, say, and do, I want to emulate Jesus' thought that I only do what I see my Father do, only say what I hear him say. I want to be so close to him that you can't tell the difference between me and Jesus. God's not pleased unless we live a life of faith. But so many times Christians, they fall back into the same old fears that they had before they got saved. I remember playing softball on a team one time, and I'd gotten a little older, and I was playing first base, and, and when it hit those balls down to me, I think it was had something to do with my eyesight wasn't as good as it was when I was young, you know. And that ball would come in, and I got to where I was flinching. I was scared of the ball. And I, and, uh, I missed a few because of that, and people were saying, what's wrong with you down there? Didn't you play college ball or whatever? And then some, the next game, somebody hit me one, and I, and I did like that, and I pulled up on it, you know, and it went between my legs. And, man, I had to do some soul searching. 
I, I take these things serious, man. I don't, I don't like to lose, you know. I, I thought to myself, mm -mm. no. No, I'm not letting fear ruin me. I'm not letting this happen again. Next game, I said, Coach, I want to play third base. If you know anything about softball, third base is called the hot box because you ain't but about 60 feet from the batter. And when that ball comes down there, it's zinging down there. And I said, Coach, put me at third base. And I done made up my mind. I was not going to be in fear over this anymore. Not, and I got down there, and I, and I turned on what I call the crazy switch. You ever heard me talk about the crazy switch? I got down at third base, and I even scooted up some. And I'd look, and I was growling in the batters. Come on, hit it to me. Come on, come on. I was tearing them. And I was like, I didn't care. I don't care if it hits me in the head and knocks me out. I am not going to live my life afraid. And you know what? I saw the same thing out of Kaylee today. She don't even know it. But they were playing that second song, and somebody just hit the worst note ever. I'm not going to name any names. But somebody, somebody just went off kilter. It was terrible. Kaylee was trying to get into the song, and somebody said, Barrr, and just held the note. It was just way out. It was the wrong key. And Kaylee, like, I saw her. And then she started singing harder. And I said, yeah! That's the way you do it. Turn on that crazy switch. I remember when I was a kid, the same thing happened. I was quarterbacking about, I was about 10 years old, peewee football, and I was quarterbacking, and I took the snap and took a, a quarterback, uh, what do you call it, a quarterback sneak, and, and had to reach out to get to the goal line, and when I did, somebody's face mask came down on the ball and on my finger and broke this finger right here and kind of made it, made it crooked. And I was 10 years old, and I went to the sidelines, and I was like, and I wanted to cry, and I was fixing to start crying, and I wanted to show the coach, I wanted to show my mama, and I wanted to make excuses why I couldn't go back in the game. I just really want to go home. But something hit me, and I said, no, tape it up. And they taped it up against this finger right here, and I went back into the game, and I played the rest of the game. And I want you to know I played harder after that. I played harder, and every snap was hitting that broke finger, but I, it was making me mad. And I refuse to live scared. You got to turn on that crazy switch. When I would coach my son's team, I would tell them about the crazy switch. I wanted them football players to play like they wanted to win. I, do you know the average football play lasts eight seconds? Eight seconds. And I would tell these guys, look, you may be in 15 or 20 plays in the game. And it's, each play is just eight seconds. Can you not give your 100% for eight seconds? Can you not do, can you not block from hut to whistle, which is going to be about eight seconds? Can you not give everything you have for those eight seconds? Some of them got it, some of them didn't. My son Joshua, he was the tight end on the right-hand side. And I remember one day we ran a play to the left, went way around, a sweep way to the left. And I looked up, and Joshua had blocked his man off the sideline, was blocking him into the coach on the other sidelines. And that kid was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm not even in the play. But the whistle hadn't blown yet. You know, our life in the scope of eternity ain't even eight seconds. When are we going to turn on that crazy switch and play like we want to win? 
I mean, isn't Jesus worth winning for? Maybe we shouldn't call it the crazy switch. Maybe we should call it the courageous switch or something. I don't know. But we have to do more than just let the devil beat us down and discourage us and keep us from rising to the life that we've been called to. You were raised from death to be raised to life. Besides, Christ disarms the fear of death and failure. I was going to step on that thing. No. <clears throat> I'm going to turn mine off now. <laughs> I usually don't carry mine up here, but I was doing that test to, text to give thing. Perfect love casts out fear, doesn't it? He who loves is made perfect. He is made perfect. And perfect love casts out fear. If you stay, if you remain in my love, Jesus, the whole thing, he's just, the whole Bible, he's just saying, Re remain in me. You won't be afraid. See, fear is the opposite of faith. And God is trying to just get you to trust him. And if you stay with him, you walk with him, you're in him, you know him, you trust his love, then you have faith. And you know that if God be for you, who can be against you? And all this other stuff has no hold on you. Jesus shamed that devil. He triumphed over him, made a public spectacle out of him, snatched the keys from death, hell, and the grave. And so for we can forever live and we don't have to be afraid. We don't never have to go in back into that tomb of fear of death all our life. Hebrews 2.15 says he released those through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Fear brings bondage to you. There's something that God's calling you to do right now and you won't do it because you're afraid you'll fail. God would say go on and fail. It's better than not even trying. Revelations 12.11 says... We have defeated him, meaning the devil, by the blood of the lamb. See, there was blood, precious blood spilled so that we could rise up. And we defeat him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Faith is not afraid. Faith, if you have faith in Christ and you... And you and you know that you have eternal life, what are, you, what are you afraid of? You can't kill a dead man. I've already died to sin. I've already received eternal life. For me to die is just a promotion. Miss Elsie is dancing on the streets of gold right now. What am I going to be afraid of? All our lives we were afraid to die, afraid of failure. But now we have nothing to fear. But fear itself. Romans 5.1 in the message paraphrase. Now this is not a real translation of the Bible. It's a man's paraphrase of the Bible. But sometimes you can, you can read 
books that people write. You can read the paraphrase. I, I wouldn't necessarily preach out of this, but, I mean, you can gain insight from hearing other people's uh, paraphrase. Romans 5.1 says, By entering through faith into what God has always wanted for us to do, set us right before him and make us fit for him, we have it all together with God because of our master Jesus Christ. He's always just wanted us to be right with him. He's always wanted to know, us to know that there's something he wants us to do. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his doors to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped that we might stand. Out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting his praise. Your heart has always wanted to stand out in those wide open places. It is longed to feel God's grace and his love and his glory, and God has thrown open the doors. God has thrown open the doors. It is there for you to walk in. You can step out into all of God's grace and glory. And you can stand tall. And you can shout his praise from the rooftops and not be afraid. He wants you in that special place. He wants you in those wide open spaces, not all closed in and feeling like I'm in such bondage. The Apostle Paul he went through a dilemma that many of us will go through in our life at some point. I feel like I'm going through that dilemma a little bit at times. He said, I'm in a straight betwixt the two. That's big King James verbiage. I'm in a straight betwixt the two. In other words, he's, he's between two desires. Philippians 1.21 says, for me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. That is a man who's not afraid to die. That is a man who has come to a place who realizes it's going to be far better when we're in those wide open places and we're looking at Jesus face to face. But that's a man that says, you know what? I look out in the wide open spaces I have that he's given me here on this earth and I see faces that don't know him yet. And there's a purpose for my life. And this light affliction is but for a moment. But it works for me a far greater weight of glory in the life to come. I have to do what I'm called to do here before I go to those wide open spaces. I'm going to live in the wide open spaces on this side. He said it's better. It would be better to go and be with Jesus. Even so come Lord Jesus. But until then, I've got to walk it out down here. For the people's sake. Because he's given me a task. And I don't want to come up short. I want to be in those wide open spaces with Christ. Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians 2.4. He says, we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. See, you're God's messenger. Can you ride all the way to the gig with your partner and not say a word about Jesus? When you've been entrusted with the good news, our purpose is to please God, not people. That's what it says. That's the word of God. I'm not just not saying that. Paul says our purpose is to please God. And he says what pleases him is you to be a messenger of his good news. 
He motivates us in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. He says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. You know what I was saying? Turn on that crazy switch. Run like you want to win. He cheers us on in Philippians 3, 14. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. I'm pressing. I'm pressing on every day. I'm running this race. I'm going to finish. I'm running like I want to win, Kaylee. I'm going to turn on that crazy switch when things start going wrong and somebody's hitting the wrong note. I'm going to sing harder. I'm going to play harder. I'm going to, I'm going to block from hut to whistle. Yesterday I was coming back from hardware store. I was working on some stuff and Coming back through my neighborhood, I saw a garage sale sign. And you know me, I, I can't stand not going to one. It was 1130 in the morning, and I'm thinking, you know, they probably ain't got nothing left. But the other part of me says, you know, they might be giving away whatever they got left. <laughs> and so I, I turned down the street, found the, found the sale, and I was driving by it. I looked. And you know how you do at 1130, you, you drive by and you look, see if they got anything good. And if not, you just keep going. I said, I don't really see nothing. There's a couple, look like computer monitors up there. They probably want too much for them or something. So, so I drove on. I was going to turn around in the cove and come back and go home, not stop. But something told me, said, you need to stop. Go look. I said, okay. So I stopped and I got out and I went up there and there was four computer monitors for $5 a piece. I thought, oh, that's a good price. They were older, but you know, we had... We always leave our monitors on back there, so I figured that was not going to last long. So I figured we could have some backups, you know. And I was thinking, I wonder if I could talk this lady into donating them to the church, you know. But anyway, because I didn't have it like a dollar on me. <laughs> and so I'm looking, and she's on the phone in, in, inside the garage in there. And, she, and you know what she says? She says, come on in here. We've got children's books. You can have them if you want them. Now, that's an odd thing for somebody to say to a pastor who wasn't even thinking about looking for children's books. But we have the sidewalk stories ministry, you know, and so we're collecting children's books. So I said, okay, thank you. And so I'm waiting on her to get her off the phone so I can see if she wants to donate them computer monitor. <laughs> so I collected all the children's books, and I go out, and I'm looking around, and it looks like she's going to stay on the phone. There ain't nothing else there, so... I'm about to leave, and then she gets off the phone, and I'm not kidding you. She walks up, and she says, I tell you what, why don't you donate those, those uh, monitors to your church too? Because I had told her that we were doing an outreach with the books. And I thought, my goodness. Okay. And so I said, thank you. I, I said, thank you for the books too. You know, we're doing uh, an outreach. We're going to this apartment complex, and we're reading to children, and we're giving out the books. And she just started bawling crying. She said, she just started crying. She said, it's a God thing that you came here. And I'm thinking, yeah. I got four monitors out of the deal. And uh, she's crying, and I'm like, you know, how guys get around women and are crying. Okay, I got to go, you know. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm a pastor now. And so I flipped that pastor switch on and said, no. But... Uh, <laughs> But she started talking. She said, those books were my son's book, and he passed away three years ago. 
And then I, you know, it broke me, and I was like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. She said he was 17 years old, and apparently she's held on to his baby book since he was, he was a kid. She said, I just, just got to the place where I can let go of him. And I, it's, been, it's hard for me, but I'm, to know that you're going to give them to other children, you know, is, makes me feel better about this. And so I ministered to her about, uh, she wanted to know things about where people, you know, where, what happens when you die and stuff. She was a Christian, and she showed me a picture of her son. Her son was named Austin. He was 17 years old, and, and uh, she had a picture of him and had his life verse down at the bottom of it. And it was Philippians uh, 3.14. It's the one that says uh, that we just read, I press on to to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. That was the young boy's verse. And she said, said, I've been in Florida for three years because I just had to get to the beach. I just, I was mad at God. And I was, you know, and she's telling me these things. And she said, but I had to, I had to find God. I had to get back to creation. And, and, you know, and I said, well, God gave us creation so that we could see his glory, you know, and we could understand his nearness and his power and his love for us. And, and I was trying to minister to her, and she was saying, and she said, you know, his verse has become my verse now. And that's what I wanted to tell you today. When somebody sees you with a verse, they see you living it will become theirs. When they see you reaching for the end of the race, reaching for the heavenly prize, reaching for Jesus, it's going to inspire them to do the same. And that's what's keeping his mama alive right now. She is, I mean, you can imagine the hurt and the pain in her life, but she's reaching. She's, what if he wouldn't have left that verse? I was hoping she would come today because I invited her. There's another guy I invited from Sidewalk Stories. I call him Greenville because he's from Greenville, Mississippi. And met him at the thing. I was hoping he'd come today. But you know what? You just keep inviting folks. You just keep loving them where they're at. I know there was something else I wanted to say about that garage sale, but I can't think of what it is right now. But anyway... Paul pulls at our heartstrings in Philippians 3.8. He says, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For, what I, what his, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. See, Paul is reminding us of our why. He said, all this stuff you're not taking with you. All the things that I once thought were so important in my life is... They're just like garbage compared to now that I know my real Savior. I know my real purpose. I know why I was created now. It wasn't for a boat. It wasn't for an RV. It wasn't for a big house. In fact, I'm, I'm called to be a sojourner here. I'm just passing through. I'm not setting up camp down here in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm moving through. I am look I've got my eyes on a prize. I've got my eyes on the end game. I've got my eyes on the wide open spaces where Jesus Christ is going to show me his grace and his glory and I'm going to see his face and I'm going to know him and I'm going to be like him and there's going to be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more crying, no more death. 
There's coming a day that Jesus Christ is going to come and take us home to be with him. But until that day, I've got to press on towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I've got to stir myself up. I've got to turn that switch on every day. Paul set the example in 2 Timothy 4, 7. He said, I have fought the good fight. That's what I want to be able to say in the end. I have fought the good fight. Not that I got knocked down and it hurt so I stayed down. I got popped in the head with a softball so I quit playing. I broke my finger. So I stayed out and I got mama to take me home. I have fought the good fight. This life is a fight. Wake up. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. In other words, it's not just available to Paul, it was, is available to whoever. That means you. You can fight the good fight. You can run the race. You can finish the course. You can hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Your battle is going to be different from Paul's. Your battle is going to be different from mine. But you've got to fight the battle. You can't let anything sideline you. We've been called for such a time as this, and it's not to sit on the bench. Seventy-five years ago, last Thursday, when Miss Elsie passed away, we celebrated 75 years since D-Day. And I just picture those young boys, some of them not even 18 years old yet, being on those, what they call Higgins crafts. Looks like the, the Dixie dumpster out there that floats. Looks like it should sink to the ground, bunch of men herded on there like cattle, bunch of young boys with all these packs on them and, and these guns, and they probably have only been trained for a couple of months. They've been rushed off to war. They, they ain't even seen their 18th birthday, some of them. And they're out there in this floating garbage can, and they're probably seasick, and they probably half of them throwing up on, on each other. And they, they're washing up on Omaha Beach or somewhere, and they're, they're feeling bullets whiz over their head and ting off the metal garbage can. And they look there to look their head up, and they see bodies floating all in the water. And they see a, a beach laden with mines and barbed wire, and they see these machine gun houses up on top of the ridge, way up on the cliff, and they're thinking, how would we even get up there? And I tell you, there could have been 25 lawyers from the ACLU. They wouldn't have been able to stop them from praying that day. Oh, we're going we're gonna to take you to court. I don't care. I don't care about a separation that you've made up in your mind. Them boys was praying. Them boys was praying, and them boys was understanding that they had a duty to God, to country, honor. And when those doors fell down, many of them didn't even make the beach because they were weighed down and they got out in the deep wa deeper water than they thought and just drowned right there before they even made the beach. And those who were able to make the beach were, were shot up and their comrades being killed on the left and the right. 
But they kept going. Through the blood and the gore and the machine guns galore, the bombs. And somehow they were able to traverse that cliff, take out those gunners, and basically win the world. And they knew in their hearts, they knew it's a good chance I'm not going to make it. But I got to fight anyway. I got to fight anyway. And they're called what? The greatest generation. I've got a, a great, great uncle that was there on D Day. He got shot twice. He just died about five years ago. They're called the greatest generation. But you know, what about our generation? What is the call for our generation? It looks on the surface. Like that we have forgotten the price that was paid for our freedom. That we have forgotten the blood that was spilled. And God forbid as Christians we forget the blood that was spilled. Joshua led the people across the Jordan. And then across the Jordan they had to face the walled town of Jericho. And after Jericho, they had to face the Canaanites. And they had to face the Perizzites and the Hittites and all the heights. And they had to go to war. And they had to fight, 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 fight to take the promised land. And they settled in houses that they did not build. And they ate from the vines that they didn't plant. And God blessed them. But in Judges... Chapter 2, verse 10. It says, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, all those, that greatest generation that took the promised land, when they died off, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work for which he had done for Israel. Guess what? So your daddy's a preacher. So your uncle did good work for the kingdom. But what about our generation? What about us? What will they say about us when we have to give account for our lives on that day? What will we say before Jesus? What about our generation? Our challenges are different. We may not go to Omaha Beach. You may go down to South Park Beach. But the challenge is still the same. Are you willing to lay down your life for God, for honor, for country? What will be said about our generation? What will be said about you as an individual? Is that not important to you? I'm not talking about a Christian life that's just dangerous for the sake of dangerous, ill-advised, misguided, thrill-seeking, fiasco kind of life. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a whole hogged heart to do the will of God. I'm not talking about, hey, hold my beer, watch this. <laughs> I'm talking about hold my Bible and watch what God would do through me. 
I'm talking about a determination to run your course and your race and to do what God's called you to do. And not just put it off and act like it don't exist. And Well, I'm going to watch TV and put it out of my mind. And so many Christians are sitting on the sidelines when they've been raised to life. Am I helping anybody? Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Can people see you and just know? Man, he's been with Jesus. Like they saw those disciples. Man, I perceive they've been with Jesus. Is there a glow about your life? We're raised to life. Say raised to life. We're raised to be the David who will fight the giants while all the rest of them are hiding. We're raised to be the Moses who will climb the mountain to see the face of God when everybody else says, you go and tell us what he says. We've got a you go and tell us what he says Christian generation going on. You go to church and tell me what he says. I'll just watch it on TV. How shallow. How quick to throw away what you were called to be. To not step into the things. We need a generation that will be like the Gideon who with 300 farmers surrounded an army of 100,000 and they had no more weapons than a flashlight and a bugle, I'm telling you. The audacity to believe God that he will do what he says he will do. To be a Joseph who's willing to endure the pit and the prison until his promotion. To be a Mary. Think about poor Mary having to withstand all that unwarranted whispering. You know, she's pregnant. They ain't even married yet. She was willing to withstand that. To carry the plan of God to full term. Willing to be pregnant with, with the plan of God. Are you pregnant with a plan? You may be saying, well, I understand what you're saying, but I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. Well, you haven't, even in, you haven't been close enough to Jesus to find out. And today is going to be the day that you... Take that step. Understand that there's an obligation for you to find out who you are in Christ. Are you a big Joe? Are you a jumping Johnny Jeans? Are you willing to charge the gates of hell with nothing more than a water pistol? Come on, give me some, devil. You ain't afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Victory has already been won. The devil is cowering you down by deceit and lies. He's like a roaring lion, but he don't have any teeth. He has kept you in bondage through deceit and lies. You're thinking, I can't do it. And you get what you believe. When Jesus says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. All things are possible to him that believes. You're more than conquerors in him who loves you. 
Thanks be unto God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. These are all promises of God. We must stand on the promises of God. Sunday night, two of our ladies went down to the jailhouse to preach to the ladies down there. They said there was such a powerful anointing in the service last Sunday when they came down front to get to refill with the Holy Spirit. They went down there. They said the jailhouse, it was, it was magnetic. It was like the tangible presence of God was there. Four girls got up and got saved, and 21 stood up to be rededicated, including the prison guard. Prison guards don't stand up to get rededicated. They're usually sitting over there, I'm not, you know, I'm not a part of this. I'm not, I'm not even listening. They're trying to be aloof. But now you can't be aloof when the presence of God is there. One of the guards rededicated their life. The power of God was so strong. And the power of God wants to be strong in your life. We need to be like Miss Elsie. A little suffering can't steal our joy. I'm telling you, that woman, I'd go and talk to her, and, and anybody else would be, whoa, oh, help me, I'm hurt. No, I heard them down the hallway screaming out. Miss Elsie's like, I'm finna get up and go back home. I'm going to church. I'm going to church. I could not get her to agree that she was in pain. She said, it's been a little rough, but I'm going to get up. I'm fixing to go back to church. They finna let me out of here today. And I'd come back three, three days later, six days later, she's still there. They let me go today. <laughs> and she fought her way back to church. She fought her way back to church. Oh, I'm still kicking myself that I didn't make note of her being here that day. But I know she hears us today that we're celebrating you, Miss, Miss Elsie. There's so many. So many things God wants to do with your life. Just... So we got to that nightclub and I had wore Jamie out. And I got out, I figured I better sneak up in the nightclub real quick because I knew I'd overstepped my boundaries. I had just turned a crazy switch on Brother Jamie. And he was over there and then he called me to the guy, come here. So I came over there a little wary. He's, he's looking at me like this. I'm, I'm, I just know he's going to say, don't you never say nothing to me about Jesus again. And he looks at me square in the eye. He says, guy, I want Jesus in my life. Lead me through that prayer. And I led him through that prayer right there in that gravel parking lot at that nightclub. And he's still my guitar player. And 20 years later, he's still telling other people about Jesus. If I'm going to be crazy, and I am anyway, I was crazy for the devil, I'm certainly going to be crazy for Jesus. It may not be your personality to be outgoing or whatever, but God knows your personality, and you ain't got to blame everything on your personality. God can change your personality. We're all going to do this thing differently, but we have all got to give what we have and let God take it and mold it and shape it and make it into something beautiful. They act, the world acts like they don't want to hear it. But believe me, they're listening. They're like, shut up. 
Tell me more. Tell me more. Shut up. Tell me more. Tell me more. I don't want to hear it. Tell me more. Tell me more. Their hearts are crying out, but their head is going like a ping pong game. Boop, 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 boop. Just keep spreading the good news. John 12, 9, and we'll close. Oh. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him. Of course, everybody wanted to see Jesus. He was doing miracles, right? He was caring about folks. When they heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus. Who's Lazarus? Just a simple man that Jesus raised to life. And the people wanted to see Lazarus too. The man Jesus had raised from the dead. And they're going to want to see you. All those friends that you care about, that you were sold, I want to get saved, but I don't want to leave all my friends. Just go on and get saved. Just go on and get saved. I got saved. God didn't make me leave my friends in the band. They all got saved that same year. And all my other friends that I, I stopped living that way of life and had to back off for a while. Since then, they have all seen Christ in me. And when their life goes haywire, they know where to turn. And they have all come. And they, they in turn are getting saved one at a time. But if somebody doesn't step out into the things of God, then guess what? Nobody gets raised to life. Everybody stays in the tomb. And I'm talking to a bunch of people who have already been raised from the tomb. So live courageously. Live like you mean it. Amen? Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.